I'm Chris McDonough, a retired homicide detective. I've interviewed thousands of people, from serial killers to ministers. Welcome to the interview room. Welcome to the interview room, everybody. Time to take a seat and have a good time. Wow. Always coming to you from an undisclosed location. If you enjoy real crime and mystery, you've come to the right channel. At TIR, we follow the evidence wherever it takes us in a case. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. All opinions are welcomed here. We only ask one thing, that you keep them safe, classy, and factual. Thank you always to our mods, members, and our subscribers. With all of you, we move mountains of justice for families and victims. Great program tonight. Dear Don. And tonight's guest, a CCF member and forensic psychology, psychologist and handwriting expert, Dr. Moselle Martin. And let me tell you something. Put your seatbelts on. She's going to knock your socks off. Absolutely love her. I've even sat in her class. As they say, you can sneak a couple things, but not all of them. And Dr. Martin's going to go through Don's letters for us and give us some insight not only into the author, but the psychological positioning. He, I met Dr. Martin when she was training in New Mexico, the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the task force for the Native American women. She's an amazing human being. And I am just honored to have her on our show tonight. So without further ado, let's have Dr. Martin come in and give her a, a TIR love fest over in our chat, folks. What do you say? Hi there, Mazelle. 
Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I I am absolutely blown away and honored uh, to have you on tonight. I mean, you know that. And, you know, we've been we've been preparing for this now for how long? Two weeks, I think. Two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, this is going to be, uh, you know, an absolute home run. I know it will because, you know, not only do I have I seen you, uh, you know, teach, but I don't think people quite know the totality of uh, what you do. So, you know, I put your bio up, though, but before we, you know, we kind of kick off into this and uh, I'll tell everybody what we're going to do, but kind of give everybody a little background about, you know, who you are. And by the way, you know, for our listeners, this is one very humble uh, doctor here. She is just an amazing uh, individual. I watched her, you know, teach a class of, um, you know, seasoned homicide detectives that uh, you knock their socks off and you knock, <laughs> you know, even Coop, you knock Coop's socks off for a little bit, right? I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and while I was sitting there, I was thinking to myself, holy cow, it'd be great to have her on as a guest. And I threw it at you and said, oh, well, I'd love to help. I'd love to help. And all about this little summer. And um, so before we get started, though, and before you give us a little about your bio, can I just give a quick update about this guy right back over here? Please do. Everybody's <laughs> wondering. Yeah. And I know you have a little Jack Russell who's hiding right now. Yes. <laughs> tell, tell everybody why. So she is 13 weeks old. She is uh, Jack Chi, and her name is Juno. And she had her first thunderstorm experience today and was outside and ran and got under the recliner. And my big dog, who's a a Staffordshire Terrier, is out there comforting her right now. (laughs) There you go. Okay, so a little update on Mr. Budzo over here, uh, everybody. So we took him to the cardiologist this week. And he has a little leak in one of his valves. Uh, the good news is they put him on all these uh, heart medications and they're seeing great success. And so what it does, I guess, is it metabolizes the blood and puts it back into the, into the stream. And then it, short, it uh, shrinks his heart a little bit so there's not so much pressure. Uh, the good news is uh, Jack Russell's that have had this condition and he's got another one uh, is down the road, you know, doing very well years, uh, years later since uh, the condition was, um, you know, diagnosed. So, and the amazing part of this, we, we got it, you know, early, which was great. And the doc, you know, said that, and, you know, this, um, you know, canine cardiologist uh, in vet West here, uh, where I was, where, where we took him, uh, they were just absolutely amazing. So that's an update for Budzo. Uh, keep him in your, in your prayers, but he's doing great. He's he's had a full day today, and as you can tell, he's crashed uh, in his usual spot behind me. Uh, so it's great to, you know, that everybody has been worried about him. Uh, we, I certainly have been worried about him. I'd be lying to you, you know, to tell you differently. I absolutely love this little guy, so... We'll, we'll see how it works out in the long run here. They're our children, right? So they are our children. And, and you know, and you know, they're just so, they're so fun. 
uh, and they just bring so much joy to all of us, uh, for sure, for sure. But great news. You know, I'm an optimist as always, and we'll just kind of, you know, keep uh, praying that the good Lord keeps him here with us for quite some time. Uh, my sister said I should get another Jack. What do you think about that, Doctor? Well, I had to get one for Zeus, my big guy. So I think sometimes it gives them a reason and a, you know, to hang around longer. Yeah. And, and yeah, and that's what she said. She said it'll improve his life yeah. uh, to, let, to let them play together. So uh, we're, you know, I'm crossing my fingers. I can talk Karen into another, <laughs> uh, another, another baby because she's, that dog loves that girl more than me. And meaning the dog yeah. loves her more than me. Yeah. You know. My dog's that way too. He's a Velcro dog. <laughs> exactly okay that said also uh we just kicked off karen has worked so hard for a long time up in the link uh in the chat you'll see uh we just opened up uh you know a merch store over there with buddy's picture all over it so and i looked at um, them they're great designs i love know, them. She, she did all of it she did all of it and uh you know definitely a guy could not have pulled that off you know <laughs> <laughs> you know that uh, okay, so let's talk about you. Tell everybody who you are, what you do, and what we're going to do tonight. Okay, so I, I, it's so funny because I have my doctorate in ethics and everything else is in criminology and forensic psych, but I just started using the doctor, actually the, the title, about a year and a half or two ago because I had a lot of pressure from my friends. You know, you earned it. You need to wear it. Okay. But I'm really more informal than that. So like I told my students, call me Moselle. I'm totally happy because that's technically my name. So Moselle works just fine, although I always appreciate the respect. I am much more comfortable with my first name. <laughs> so um, I actually I grew up in the industry of forensic handwriting. And so I started my first, 11, my first birthday on my first birthday for 11th year. Uh, was my first training. So at 11 years old, I started officially and uh, just, I really never looked back. And then I knew by the time I was 13, I wanted to study forensic psych. And so I went to school for that. And then after 14 years of college and during that time, you're like a professional yeah. student. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I had the bill to show for it, <laughs> but I, I, uh, you know, I just knew that the handwriting was really compatible because I grew up being torn between a law enforcement, um, you know, side of, of a career and also the mental health side and the forensic side. It was all like a just conglomeration. So in 1987, I told my dad, I am going to do forensology. And he said, what is that? I said, that's just a word I made up. That means forensics and psychology because I can't decide what I want to do. And now it becomes here's a, it's a buzzword every now and then on the internet. And I'm like, wow, who would have thought something I said in 1987 would now be a word? Yeah, you coined but, it. <laughs> right, I did, totally coined it. And then I realized when I went into mental health, I worked in trauma and I was a trauma therapist for a long time and before becoming a clinical director. And during that time, I used the handwriting science to really help my trauma patients because so much trauma is blocked. And when you go to therapy and you're ready to talk about it, you can't readily recall 
the information that really the therapists probably need the most to be able to help you through that trauma. And so by being able to look at what you're writing and the content not mattering, it was a way of digging in really deep into the subconscious and not re-victimizing anybody by having them have to repeat their stories. And so it, you know, watching people break down in tears saying, oh my God, I didn't have to say anything and you know everything. And it was like these tears of, you know, joy and tears of, I don't have to say any anymore. Like there was so many reasons for those tears, but it happened over and over. And so I realized that this is super powerful and really it, it works amazing for that. And so I've just used it, you know, forever, but it's a career that I've literally done professionally for 35 years and I am, I would never do anything else. So next lifetime, when I come back, I'm doing it again, <laughs> just putting it out there. <laughs> But I do want to say that I have not, two weeks ago when we met Chris, that night before I got on the plane, the night before, I had mm -hmm. just gotten the handwriting samples. I literally have had never heard of the Summer Wells case until two weeks ago. And mm -hmm. I made sure, because I had the handwriting, to do what I always do. And that is, I do not watch video interviews until I am done and you haven't yet. Business. You have not yet. I still haven't. I know. I you haven't were, because this show is coming up. Keeping a racehorse, <laughs> yes. you know, behind the fence, going, wait a minute, wait a minute, because I know yeah. you've. When we've talked between this, you're like, I haven't watched any videos, and then so, okay, but right. And so when I do watch the videos, which will be after our our time together tonight, it's going to be like reading the book and watching the movie, and it's really fun to watch what I see in the handwriting actually become acted out in real life. So I'm excited to go down the rabbit hole of any videos that are out there at this point, because, you know, this is going to be really fun. And I am, I was shocked and not shocked. And I can't tell you how weird these handwriting things are. And so what I did was I pulled out a one sample that I was told was written by Candace, but I don't know for sure. I didn't see her write it. So I, like always, I am analyzing the person behind the pen, not necessarily Candace. So and we're then, talking about, are we talking about the reporter's note? Or are we talking about the restraining order? Somebody said that it was a note that she wrote on somebody's car. Yeah. Well, she or, wrote it on the, on the back of a reporter from WJHL. Okay. Uh, was it outside? Was it written outside? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's okay, but don't, don't give it away yet. Don't give I it away. I, I know you prepared a whole video yeah. that, that I'm going to play. Right. Um, and, and then I did um, another sample that supposedly is Don's writing. And then what I did at the end is I gave a synopsis of what I think has happened to Summer. All based on handwriting, because like I said, I have no... I have no other knowledge. <laughs> so okay. this is going to be interesting because I know there's a lot of your viewers that know a lot. And so it'll be interesting oh, yeah, but, to hear what I they have, have to the say. the smartest chat and the smartest followers. They're really smart people. And you're going to see, because you're going to take some questions at the yeah. end of this, right? I love questions. Okay, awesome. And we do too. And uh, uh, we've got, and by the way, this, you know, this is, these are our mods down there. Uh, I've got amazing mods. And I know you just started, well, you've had a YouTube channel, but you've really not paid any attention to it. Uh, 
until recently. Until <laughs> Amber Heard. <laughs> yeah, until Amber Heard, right. And that thing went crazy. It did. Uh, just so everybody knows, that link is below as well, everybody. So get over there and subscribe to Doc Martin's YouTube channel. And she also does classes and training and stuff like that. But that's on her website and the name of the way. And that's also below. But so get over there, you know, take a look at it. But what's the name of it, Doc? Forensology.com. Forensology.com. So everybody go over there uh, when we're all done. But tonight, I'm telling you, this is going to be really good because I saw, I know what she, I know what she's capable of. And, and a funny story, which a lot of people aren't aware of, Steve Johnson was actually one of your um, students. He was my certification student, yes. Yeah. Years ago, years ago. We're not going to say how old Steve is. No. <laughs> Many years ago, though. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, takes a, it takes a very special person to, uh, you know, be part of the CCF program as a whole, the Cold Case Foundation, for those of you who are uh, not familiar with it. And, uh, you know, I ran into Dr. Martin, like I was mentioning, at the Bureau of Indian Affairs training. And, you know, people were just mesmerized. And I was like, well, I got to get her on the show here. This is going to be great. So, okay, the ground rules. You've prepared a video. I'm going to just play the video, right? That's what you, that's what you right. want. Yeah. Okay. And at the end, then we're going to come back to it. Okay? And you're going to do a Q&A mm -hmm. okay, based on what everybody has been uh, looking at. So it's about 23 minutes long, maybe? Approximately, yes. Okay, so everybody, we're going to go uh, and watch the video, and then we're going to come back in, and Dr. Martin's going to break it down and take your questions. And just a shout-out uh, before you know we, we step away for a second uh, to Miss Sophia, our uh, team lead, Maui Girl, Mimi J2, Stephanie H., Teresa M., and, of course, Mystery Maven, counselor. It's great to have all of our mods here tonight. And everybody, please be respectful in the chat. Uh, as always, and keep it classy. And so with that, I'm going to put the video up and I'm going to mute so that everybody can hear it. Okay, here we go. Before we begin, viewers may not understand my role today. So I want to emphasize that everyone has the goods, bads, and uglies in their handwriting, including you and me. My goal is to educate and entertain the viewers with my expertise in nonverbal communication known as forensic handwriting analysis and how the handwritten indicators pertain to the writer's personality. This is not about who wrote the letters as in names or identities. Instead, it is about the personality behind the pen and what it may represent about the topic at hand. Viewers are urged to use this information to form their own conclusions about Summer's disappearance. Before we start, I am going to be using the terms upper zone, middle zone, and lower zone, so it makes more sense for me to show you the zones first. There is a lower line that divides the lower and middle zone, and then there is an upper line that is drawn across all the middle zone letters that divides the upper zone and the middle zone. In a nutshell, the upper zone represents one's future, 
mental acuity and perceptions, concepts, spiritual beliefs, intellectual and cultural inspirations, daydreams and fantasy, creativity, and more. The middle zone represents today's action regarding daily concerns, emotional expression, logical, practical, and social expression of the ego, and more. The lower zone represents one's past, sexual perceptions, basic instincts, biological needs, instinctual urges and even perversions, material desires including money, and more. Since we have a lot to cover today, I will only be mentioning the traits that may pertain specifically to Summer's disappearance. This is a letter supposedly written by Candace, and since Candace's purported sample is shorter, I would like to review that one now. First of all, when I look at this page of writing, the full sample at once, there's a lot of information that I could immediately acquire through all of the messiness and inconsistencies. If you turn your eyes to the upper zone strokes, you will see that some are inconsistent and represent many things, including a controlling mindset, someone who knows exactly what's going on, and someone who prefers the facts. Now the lower zone strokes that are also inconsistent represent many things as well, such as an inferiority complex, emotional volatility that could force people to feel like they're walking on eggshells around her. She can be difficult to get along with. She can also be a sexual explorer who is vulnerable to temptation and ready to indulge, especially since she tends to lack self-control. She seems to struggle to satisfy her appetite for money, sex, and variety. She focuses on self-protection and survival and needs to feel secure. Whenever she does feel insecure, she can become neurotic and illogical. Her sexual disturbances can be difficult for her to control, and this can cause her great frustration. Also, she seems to be confused about her gender and self-identity and likely has unsettled sexual fantasies, including bisexual tendencies. While we are on the topic of lower strokes, let's look at a few specifics in a few key words. Line one, the word stop. The P stem is thick and ends in a club stroke. This indicates sexual fantasies and frustrations and physical and or sexual cruelty. Also on that same line, the word talking. Note that that exit stroke or lower zone is long and curved, but not closed. Also regarding the words stop and talking, they are referring to talking to law enforcement. So one could ask, why is she feeling argumentative, stubborn, and aggressive about talking with the police? As you can tell, there is a lot going on with those words, but I'm going to focus on the lower zone for now a little bit more. This fluctuation of the downstrokes or exit strokes or lower zone indicates innate biological drives and instinctual urges and unacknowledged memories. Now jump down to line seven and focus on the word daughter. Do you notice the little hook on the bottom of the G? This stroke shows negative feelings of temper, anger, hostility, 
sexual and or physical frustration, and impatience. This indicates that she could easily become physically aggressive toward summer. And because it's in the lower zone, she could become sexually aggressive as well. Now, because it's on the word daughter, this could mean a couple things. For example, it could mean early childhood trauma and even bad sexual experiences when Candace was little, when Candace was the daughter, and or it could be early childhood trauma and bad sexual experiences that Summer went through. It could also be both. It could even be generational patterning. Either way, Candace is blocking these unpleasant memories and it causes her significant inner stress. Now let's look at Candace's signature. And again, we don't know for certain that Candace wrote this, at least I don't know for certain. So I am speculating on the writer of this letter, not necessarily Candace herself. But I am using Candace in order to avoid confusion, knowing that it actually may not be her. Now notice the lower loop tends to pull a bit left. This shows that Candace is clinging onto past emotional wounds and old habits, is dependent on relationships for emotional fulfillment, preoccupied with her mother, and lacks emotional maturity. However, because it appears on the Bly name, she is very dependent on men, and in this case, likely her husband. And this shows she has a very drastic need for security, even though it appears that she minimizes and secretly hates Don. Regardless of her feelings for Don, she still wants him to take care of her because she desperately seeks the security she did not receive in childhood. I'll share more about her feelings about Don in a bit. Now notice how knotted and confused the signature is. I don't have enough known writing of hers to rule schizophrenia or schizoid or any other similar personality disorder in or out, but there are a couple indicators. However, it also appears that she was under the influence at the time this was written. So again, I don't have enough to rule it in or out, but she does often confuse reality from illusions. So one could ask what came first, mental health symptoms or the substance use. Either way, her knotted and confused signature also shows she cannot handle daily responsibilities and dislikes being in the public eye. She is dependent, as we mentioned before, suffers inward and early traumas, as I mentioned before, is afraid to show true feelings, is physically restless, and is ready to explore nearly any new physical opportunity. Simply put, she needs someone to touch. Because her signature is so different than the rest of the writing, she is overly sensitive, has an inferiority complex, clings to the past, is afraid of the future, and lacks confidence. Now we'll look at the baseline. This is the imaginary line that she writes on whether the paper is pre-printed or not. This baseline is inconsistent and erratic. This indicates unstable moods, indecisiveness, someone who could be hyper-emotional, very responsive to the environment, and also confused again between reality and illusion. Look at line six and seven. Notice how the words start rising and float above the pre-printed line, specifically starting with ever to and then ending at home. On the surface, it appears that she wants or wishes summer would come home, but one would likely wonder, 
Is that guilt or true desire? Because if it's authentic emotion without guilt, why does she include anger hooks on bring our daughter on each of those keywords? Next, you will notice that the slant is also back and forth. This again verifies what we saw before, moodiness, unpredictable behaviors and reactions, anxiety, lack of self-discipline, unstable emotions, inferiority complex, and she also lacks common sense. Since we're talking about slant, note how she is leaning away, in other words, backing up or trying to get away from the words willing to do whatever to bring our daughter Summer home. One could ask, why would she want to withdraw from these key areas? Perhaps because the emotion is too hard to bear or is she distancing due to guilt? Now notice the variability in size. This again verifies emotional instability, erratic and unpredictable behaviors, childish moods, and immature emotional development. The large capitals that pop up in random places show her fantasy life, repressed desires, inconsiderate personality, and secretive. Notice how traits keep verifying each other. That's part of what we call stacking, and like pieces of a puzzle, the stacking is what builds the personality of the writer at the time it was written. That's how we know we're on the right track because the same personality traits will keep showing up in various places. Now the erratic spacing between the words. She needs to distance herself from the public view due to a need for privacy and difficulty communicating or articulating her needs to others. Note that the spatial widening is also a sign of distancing from whatever phrase it appears in. In this case, why is she saying on line three that she does not understand when she clearly does? Why on the word why does she have a self-punishing guilt stroke? Why is she distancing from the not speaking for Don part and especially the our daughter summer home and thank for all the searchers? These are key areas that most people would likely not distance themselves from, or in other words, try to run from. If this is what's going on, why does she feel the need to escape? The fluctuation also means an unsettled character that conflicts with the image she wants to portray to the public view. She also lacks a sense of social boundaries. The final comment on spacing is that her signature is typically her normal spacing between words. If that rule applies to her, then the only phrase in this entire letter that is likely honest is willing to do whatever. Given the rule of spacing, they are not willing to do anything to bring her home. And that's key, bring her home. So the real question many may ask is, you are willing to do what for what? In other words, what is whatever? Are they willing to sell? buy, kill, lie, or what? Because clearly they're not willing to do whatever to bring Summer home. Next, look at the margins. The left margin becomes more narrow to the left, which shows inner stress and someone who cannot let go of the past. The right margin in part crushes and then downturns on the top line. Keep in mind that when she's writing that top line, there is nothing below there so she could have easily moved enforcement down to the next line, but she didn't. 
That indicates that she fears empty space on one hand. Yet, when you watch the erratic right margin after that, it reveals someone who wants to be away from others. So in total, she doesn't want to be alone, yet she does. She also fears death, could be claustrophobic, and also has impulsive mood swings, impulsive actions, and reactions. On line eight, the coiled or wrapped A on all shows that she is cautious, guarded, sarcastic, uses harmful words, secretive, verbally defensive, deceptive, inhibited, experiences obsessive thinking, cunning, tricky, personally detached, intends to mislead others, and can be very dangerous due to a lapse of consciousness. Now, as promised earlier, the way she feels about Don. Back on line five, you will see that she puts the D as a lowercase. She's capable of using capitals because we've seen them in here, but on his name, she puts the D as a lowercase. She also puts a hook in the O, and yet his name is crushed together. The letters are touching. This shows that she fears him. She also feels extreme guilt, yet is defensive against inadequacy. She has likely harmed him with bitter words because you don't treat someone you love like that. Additionally, putting that same hook in the O on stop is an indicator of deception. So in reality, she does plan to stop talking to police. It appears that she is lying to the people or society who is going to read this. And again, I have to reiterate, I didn't see her write this, so I don't know if it's her writing. But basically, this is considered one of the strokes of a cunning, scheming liar. Next, we'll look at the eye dots. There are many various shapes that represent cruelty, sarcasm, insecurity, sexual immaturity, emotionally unstable, and more. Again, these are traits that we've seen repetitively. Now back to line five again, the word speak. There is a lot going on, especially the K. It has an odd stroke, and this represents fatigue, passive resistance, lack of moral adjustment, inability to cope with daily life, anxiety, and sexual perversions. Drug and alcohol use, claustrophobia, suspicions, inner conflict, sexual hostility, unrealistic self-image, and more is represented in this entire sample. Now, same indicators are on the K and talking. It's interesting that both of these refer to giving information to or discussing this case. One could ask, if she's innocent, why is the thought of speaking or talking so anxiety-provoking? I'm sure many mothers in her position would be very willing to speak to police, the press, or anyone who would listen to bring their child home unless they have something to hide. And that's just food for thought. So as you can see, everything is inconsistent throughout. And I shared a lot of information, but I want to share two more key things. One of them is rivers. When I was working in jails and prisons as an officer and then as a forensic mental health professional, I conducted a research project for my master's program and found that the majority of the inmates who participated and who were willing to admit 
that they lacked empathy or remorse, who never felt guilty or who admitted to dangerous impulses, wrote in a way that revealed rivers. So this is a strong indicator of violence potential because the spacing is so wide that they don't emotionally connect to others or have concerns for them. If they have no empathy, they often have a difficult time talking themselves out of potentially harming someone. And although these rivers are minor by comparison, they do still exist. One final point before I give a synopsis of her personality is the erratic pressure, which is also another danger sign. Of that inmate study I mentioned, a significant amount had erratic pressure, which indicates the writer may forcefully show emotions, can be very violent, and lacks the ability to behave normally within society. However, it is also very telling that once you start pulling the pressure out, notice that her claims of innocence, never, no, don't, are where she is putting the heaviest pressure. Also look at her signature. This heavy pressure on these key words show that she can be aggressive toward herself as well, including living a risky lifestyle, which is a form of self-harm, and then later claim that she's a victim so that she would not take responsibility. Finally, since I told you so many things about the writer of that sample that Candace supposedly wrote, let me provide a quick synopsis of the letter writer's personality. She can be domineering, aggressive, stubborn, sarcastic, and an opportunist who finds excuses for moral instability. She's likely dishonest with her intentions, driven by false confidence, is money-minded, exhibits weak willpower, is emotionally unstable, including having a harsh temper. She has indicators of being antisocial, fears exposure, wants to live in her secret self-protective world, and desires to be guarded around the public. She can be manipulative, brutal, sadistic, violent, cruel, and many may consider her to be a habitual liar. Now, if you are just turning in, please note again that my task during this video is not to say who wrote the letters or notes, but to decipher the personality of the writer. That may help you draw your own conclusion based on my opinions. However, if you are interested in who actually wrote the letter or note, Dawn McCarty, a trained question document examiner, and I put up a video a few days ago that specifically states whether or not Dawn wrote any of the letters. It also excluded Tim Mullen as the writer of those letters. Here is a reminder of the zones, just so we can stay on task with understanding the upper, middle, and lower. Okay, now let's look at the letter that is claimed to have been written by Don. As you can see in the purported letter Don supposedly wrote, it is much longer, so I won't be going over every single line. Instead, as with the previous sample, I will point out the most important traits that may pertain to Summer's disappearance. When I look at the overall handwriting, the overview of the full sample at once, there is a lot of information that I immediately acquired with this one as well. The very first thing I noticed is the white space that jumped out at me, specifically how he is distancing himself from Summer, as shown by the increased space right before her name. Next, I notice that the size of the middle zone also varies. 
Some lowercase letters, such as the vowels, are both small and large, open and closed. This indicates a writer who can become fully absorbed and undisciplined in seeking sensual or sexual pleasure. When trying to repress these desires, it often causes a lot of anxiety and even explosive outbursts. Because his daydreams of these sensual desires are actually a form of obsessive thoughts, he is very aware of it and likely turns to alcohol, drugs, and or God. Additionally, he tends to be emotionally off balance, unpredictable, and inconsistent with actions and reactions, caught up in childish selfishness with immature moods that change without notice. He can also easily turn on the charm to those who are unsuspecting. A lot of the vowels are colored in or closed. This indicates his tendency toward violence, manipulation, an inferiority complex, someone who doesn't find joy in life and does what he can to avoid emotionally coping with stressors. This can make him difficult to understand and get along with. He also has a tendency to take on more than he can handle, and this causes him overwhelm and confusion about how he fits into society's mold and expectations. He can also become illogical, which, with all of these combined, increases the likelihood of deception and dishonesty. The upper zone strokes are also inconsistent and can represent many things, including a controlling mindset, a realistic thought process, and someone who prefers the facts. He thinks in black and white. And what's ironic is that he typically does not trust people who exaggerate, lie, or embellish the facts, and he hates mind games. Yet, he will instantly dismiss the facts if they don't align with his personal beliefs. Again, this verifies inconsistent or contradicting beliefs and behaviors. He also has random capital letters that pop up in the middle of words and where it should be a lowercase instead. Not only does this show he can easily cover for someone else and or that he is rebellious and tries to show the world how clever and smart he is, it is also a fence to protect himself from society's judgment. The lower zone strokes are somewhat inconsistent as well, but most end with a short straight stroke with tapered or fading pressure. This mix of lower zones indicates someone who fears life, is intolerant, whose sexual energy starts strong and dissipates quickly, and this can cause him to habitually seek new sexual partners. Because of his sexual restlessness, he tends to be very vulnerable to the sexual desires of others. He is most likely aware of this, so he tries to reroute his sexual energy into other things. However, it usually doesn't work for long, and this causes him to lose his temper, including becoming verbally explosive. His lower zone also shows sticks, like the Y endings. This means he has made up his mind, is very convincing to the unsuspected, and is determined to try and not give in to sensual desires. The capitals are very large and the writing appears different than the rest of the writing in many ways. This indicates a desire to stand out because he likes attention. He is vulnerable to both criticism and flattery. 
His baseline is fairly straight and he tries to control his emotions and maintain composure, especially in the public eye. Next, look at the margins. The left margin represents inner stress and how he is prone to depression. The right margin reveals several things, such as his impulsive moods. Like the previous sample we looked at, there are a lot of inconsistencies and yet also similarities in their personalities, including the rivers. Of course, it is a much longer sample than the previous, but the meaning is still the same. Finally, notice that his pressure as it was pulled out is not only erratic, but the lightest pressure is on the part where he mentions God or religion in some way. This shows one of two things or perhaps both. He fears God's wrath and is trying to hide from it and or he is using God to manipulate the public image of himself. Both samples had a lot of similar personality traits like I mentioned, which means that if it is truly the writing of Candace and Don, that has to be a super difficult and challenging relationship. Each one of them want to be in control, neither trust the other, and each likely have enough dirt on the other. They each know what the other is capable of, and they will surely invoke spousal privilege if needed, because each is scared of telling on the other. Given the indicators in totality, Candace is the type of person who can play the victim while calling all the shots behind the scenes and nobody would suspect. Using solely the handwriting indicators of whoever wrote these letters and knowing that these letters are full to the rim with indicators of violence potential, manipulation, perverse hunger for sex, lies, and deception. If it is Don and Candace and if Summer remained in their physical custody, I would be 100% shocked to find Summer alive. However, there are also secondary traits in the handwriting that are full of being easily convinced to do anything for money. And if Summer is alive, she could have easily been sold to a private individual or trafficker. Wow. That's wow. I get chills. <laughs> When I you hear know, it, I get chills. <laughs> so. Now, okay, yeah, okay. Well, for I know there's going to be like ten billion <laughs> questions coming here for uh, in a minute, but okay. So there's there's a um, there's a lot going on here. Um, I think you know for clarity, obviously, you didn't have any of the in depth, you know, breadth of the totality of what this case has been about. I mean, I. Uh, and I know you haven't watched any of my stuff. Uh, we didn't. We didn't talk about it. I mean, uh, just this has been that is a mind blow. Okay? And and now and this is what I was talking about. What for our audience? I knew that they would, you know, respond to this because when I saw it with some of the things that took place at our recent training, um, you know, you 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 were training homicide detectives how to look for these signals uh, in here. And so just for the record, so everybody knows, uh, TBI will have access to this because all they have to do is click on YouTube and they can just watch the analysis that Dr. Martin did. But even more importantly, they can call her uh, and she will, she'll do it uh, again. And I know there's a lot you didn't put into this because yeah. for obvious reasons, I mean, it was going into 
you know, there, there's a tremendous amount of information here that uh, you just, you know, compiled into 23 minutes. Right. Uh, I actually, I probably took, to get all that information, uh, it, it was a good, strong 18 hours of work. Yep. Yeah, I know. It, it, uh, it, it's a home run. Um, and w- what's fascinating about this is now I'm kind of curious as to when you go back and you watch some of the things that he said, and, and I don't know if that, does that make any difference at this point from your analysis? I mean, as far, no, uh-uh, not really, no. I mean, and the thing is, is we have to remember that, you know, I'm analyzing the writer. And right. so even if it was you, Chris, that wrote it, it would right. describe your personality. It, it's, I, you know, I didn't go into it with any preconceived anything, no expectations, no, no, I mean, I had nothing. I had nothing. <laughs> so I just, uh, I had heard that there's a there was I had heard that other people because the people that gave me these samples two weeks ago they said you know there's a there's a grandis and a hector or hunter hunt hector I can never remember anyway hunter, hunter that he's a young man okay mm-hmm. they said well maybe those two you can get samples from those two but I don't want to go look for anything because I I didn't want to be swayed sorry in my objectivity so. I wanted to be able to, you know, look at it from just like I did the John Benet Ramsey note, the writer, just like, you know, well, with Amber Heard, it was different. I did it, with Amber Heard. I did her sample before Dr. Curry testified. And that's up on your, uh, that on is. Your yeah. So everybody get over there yeah. after this, go watch. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. I was like, did Dr. Curry watch my analysis? Cause she said what I said. So uh-huh. it was kind of, Anyway, it. I think having a background in mental health, such a strong background in mental health, yeah. helps with the comprehension of being able to put these handwriting traits together and see how they interact behaviorally. Yeah. And, and let's give everybody a little bit about how you have helped law enforcement all over this nation. I mean, what, what are some of the, I mean, you don't have to name the cases, but the type of cases where your analysis has been spot on uh, with the players uh, that they've been investigating. I mean, we did one the other day uh, in the class, well, last week in the class. You know, talk about some of those cases that, because that. Yeah, so (laughs) when I do teach, when I do teach, especially law enforcement classes, well, any class I teach, for the most part, I use real cases that I worked on. And I give them the information of, you know, what department it came from, whether it was Georgia Bureau of Investigation or it was, you know, a local police department or a federal agency or, or whatever it may be. And I, I also like to use that because they have a, an option then of being able to look it up uh, and contact them if they wanted to. But I think the things that shock people are, we get so caught up as humans. I mean, we try to be compassionate and we try to, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt so many times. And I think what happens is when we hear something that shocks us about somebody we we know, we think we know well, 
we choose to ignore the, the black and white or the science because it's not what we want to believe about them. Mm-hmm. And so many times people we've known in our past will act in a way that we feel is completely uncharacteristic. Mm-hmm. But it's because we had already a, a perception of them that may or may not be accurate. Uh, one of the, I think one of the biggest cases that really sticks in my mind is uh, the one, his name is Kenneth Wolf. Uh, he was a sheriff deputy in Ohio and he, I had given some information to the police department through his wife who was concerned. And I basically told her, get out while you can. And so he moved to, from Ohio to Wisconsin and ended up shooting his girlfriend in the head at close range. And now he's in Wisconsin DOC. Uh, So then we had that. And then there's been, there was a homicide detective in past, past Christian, past Christian, I don't know how you say it, Louisiana, uh, I can't remember if he's sheriff's department, police department, but he was a homicide investigator. And I had said he's, uh capable of harming children well if you look his name up and for whatever reason i can't remember his name right now but i can i i believe it's on my channel but he was arrested for harms against children so there's it happens it happens a lot and just because somebody wears a badge doesn't mean it's they're innocent yeah that's that's factual i mean 100 percent and so question, what's, what's the science, what's the baseline science behind this? So it is, it is a science, but here's, and, and it's really just behavioral. If you look in the Library of Congress, they have it actually filed under behavioral. They have it under applied psychology. And the reason that it got such a bad rap here in the United States specifically is because in the 1800s, there was a bad business deal that happened that a guy who was a, a studied as graphologist and developed a lot of the science in Europe, he wanted to publish it and get the information out there. So what he ended up doing is he went to a conference and he met this other man who said, hey, I know you don't have the money to do it, but I can do it. I can publish this for you because I'm going to write my own book. And so he said, well, I don't want my information with your information. Mine is a science, yours is not. And this other guy was a palm reader. And so the guy says, oh, no, 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 uh uh-uh. I'm not going to go ahead and publish it with mine. I know the difference. Well, this little shyster published it in his book. And so once the handwriting analyst found out about it, he got as much money as he could together and went all around Europe and went to the town squares and such and tried to tell everybody this was you know, this was fraud. This was, you know, however they talked in that day, but basically this is not true. This is not accurate. It is not the same as what this guy does. And so he couldn't make it to the United States. And so he, we don't really know that information here, but on my website, I have a freebie page that gives court precedents and all kinds of studies and things like that on there. So I encourage everybody to go look over there on the freebie page and and you don't have to register anything. Just click on it and get it. And then the other thing I was going to mention is if you're curious about the cases I've worked, the case types on my website, which is again, forenzology.com, you can click on there and I have about 40 or so pages of reference. You've even given a TED talk. 
yeah, a TEDx presentation yeah. from Tucson. Yeah. You know what's fascinating is there's always going to be the naysayers, but oh, yeah. you know, it, well, yeah. I was around when DNA first started and everybody was like, what's DNA? Okay, that's garbage. Okay, you know, it's it's old gumshoe. You got to get yeah. your hand, you know, your feet on the ground. And <laughs> and of course, the other the other challenge is, right? The polygraph. The, the, this yeah. I yeah. I look at what your science or you know what you do as a tool. It's a tool. Mm-hmm. And and at some point, you know, the you you open you expand the possibilities to an investigator to say Okay, what if? And and if you think about the polygraph, the progression of the polygraph, now there's the C, you know the CVSA comes in, right? Okay, in the early '90s, okay, the computer voice stress analysis, which a lot of people are not aware there's actually a third now. Okay, it's the next progressive, and what it is, it measures the retina. Okay, and the science that behind that is about 99 percent that they put these goggles on people now, and then they go through a series of Q&A. And that's just coming. So now what? when that finally hits, uh, you know, the environment in totality, and it's been around for a little while, but people don't know about it, a, other than a criminal. You know, when right. you sit in that chair and they put a set of goggles on you and it's measuring, you know, things with inside of your eyes, okay? It, what's gonna be interesting I can't wait for people to say, oh, the polygraph and the CVSA is hocus pocus, nothing to see here, you know, <laughs> move along, right? Because now these new technologies, you know, so these are always just tools, but the fascinating part of this is you not only have the practical experience, but you've been in the jails, you've been in the prisons and you've, and you've interviewed all these guys and having them write out all their stuff. And I, I gotta tell you, I think you've nailed uh, a lot of information here tonight, I, and and my myself, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch this <laughs> to to kind of get you know some some things going there. So let me bring uh, the audience up to speed. I didn't mean to uh, be rude and talk you know so much, but I want to bring the audience up to speed here. You know, we have Dr. Moselle Martin. Her bio and her information is below. Uh, so get down there, you know, take a look at it, get over to her site. She started a YouTube channel a long time ago, but she's just been doing 2,000 things at the same time, kind of like a juggler. <laughs> yeah. And uh, hasn't really kept up on it, but we ran into each other, uh, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to have her take a look at, uh, you know, these letters. And she Right. Done- Actually, you know what, Chris, because I hadn't even seen the ones, and you showed it to me. Yeah, I know. I did. I did. I showed it to you at dinner. Yeah. Remember, we were sitting yeah. next to you. I said, here, here they are. Yeah. And and you were like, oh, interesting. That's when I got them. <laughs> when you started nailing it right at the dinner table, and my even my Karen was like, holy cow. I haven't <laughs> even seen this stuff yet. And I was like, she's on. She's and on. We were looking at it on your phone, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, for a, any... Uh, you know, there's always going to be doubters, but that's okay, right? That's what the world's made of, right? Yeah. We we need people to say no, not the. And you did a whole thing on John Bonet's letter, right? I did, I did. Oh, is yeah. it on your website? Yeah. Or is it on your YouTube, YouTube channel? YouTube channel, yes. Okay, so folks, you know, again, get over there and go look at John Bonet's, you know, letter. I did um, Jody Arias and President Biden and Dr. Oh. Fauci and all kinds of people, Michael okay. Jackson, Bill Cosby. 
<laughs> right. I know you've done a lot in your time. Trust me. Uh, okay. So let's get, uh, let's, uh, let's, are you up for some questions? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So before we do that though, let's uh, show a little love to the doc here. Uh, tell us uh, where everybody's at and I'm going to play a little music here. Let's see if I can get it started. All right. So let's, uh, let's do a roll call. We got a lot of folks here for Dr. Martin tonight. Let's uh, tell her where you are. Show her a little uh, TIR love. And it's uh, always on Russia. Wow. Russia's in the house. How about that? Kansas, Western Massachusetts, Lenaway, Utah, Beth, Thomas, Jordan, Rhode Island, UK, Jakey. Good to have you here, friend. Charlotte, North Carolina, Doreen from Canada, our good friends up there. Boston, Beantown, Miss Kitty in the house. Polka Dots, Ohio, Canada, Wendy. Hello from Sweet Home, Alabama, Ruby Julie. Thank you, Jamie. Welcome from Utah, Northern Kentucky, Tracy. Chicago, Mobile, Alabama, worst summer. I know, right? That's why we're doing this. Upper Arlington. Missouri, North, Northern California, Northeast Tennessee, Rochester, New York, North Carolina, love from Kentucky, beautiful ashes. Thank you. Gail Swift Fernandez from Georgia, New Zealand in the house. Our friends over there in the Kiwi area, Sweden, Texas is in the house, Southeast Texas, Curious Cat. Park City, Utah, Houston. Just a lot of love coming your way, Dr. Martin. A lot of your love coming here. Norway's in the house, too. Oh, it's my God, that's to, my dream vacation, Norway. Happen. How cool is that, I right? so much DNA How over there. Uh, <laughs> everybody, uh, you know, who who's here. I, the Internet is absolutely f unbelievable. You know, it it's such a powerful tool for good and for bad. Right. Right. But it, it can also bring us closer together. And um, I think, you know, this little girl has just absolutely, you know, hit the heartstrings of thousands and tens of thousands uh, of people. Um, yeah. You know, what what um, let's see here. So let's grab a couple of questions. And uh, what I'll do, guys and gals, is, uh, you know, we got a new member here. I thank you. JPL, thank you so much for joining. And Fred, as always, great to see you, my buddy. Great to see you. So, and guys and gals, just kind of, you know, just be patient with me here. And what I'll do is I will flag your questions as they come in and then uh, put them in. But if I miss them, please forgive me up front. Uh, okay, so here's the first one. Whoops, where'd it go? Right there. Okay, Daisy asks, can people like this change? And if so, with their handwriting change. So if somebody wants to change and they actually make those changes and there's not an underlying uh, personality disorder like an access to or uh, a physical uh, disorder that could prevent that, yes, it would show in the changes. In fact, today I, well, actually earlier this week I had completed a snapshot on somebody, uh, just a quick overview. And I sent it to an individual 
And then today she responded back to me and said, wait, he's been different for the last 25 years, but his handwriting is showing his traits from 40 years ago when he got in trouble. And I said, if his handwriting didn't change, he hasn't either. And so I always stick with the science. And remember, if you're un whether you're intoxicated or you're having a crappy day or you're you know, extra sad or extra happy, the visual output of the handwriting to the untrained eye will look differently. But to somebody who's, you know, in my case, you still have the same brain. So I'm still going to find the same information. Okay. All right. Let me grab another one. And uh, sorry about the banner. I just turned it off here. So Ann Miller asked that question. If someone is having a bad day and you do analysis, could that affect the results? Like how do you determine a consistent thing versus a temporary thing? Not sure if that makes any sense. I think it makes sense. Yeah, what it you... makes complete sense. And so, yes, it does affect the results. So in, a, in the ideal situation, we always hope, we as in my field, always like to have several handwriting samples over time to show if there's a consistency or not on such thing as, you know, anger or anxiety, because some of it is a circumstantial event that's causing the writing to do that. But in most cases, you don't have that liberty, at least when you're working on cold cases and crime. Okay. Um, let's see here. Let me grab uh, the next one. What is the percentage of accuracy in this method? So I think that's very, I think it's very analyst specific because it all, there's so many factors that go into that. For example, on one of the videos I did on my YouTube channel, I talk about how it's different if you say Google something and get some tidbits on Reddit or you get a library book and you, you learn self-learn that way versus having a mentor or like becoming one of my students, it's very different. And so your accuracy is going to change based on number one, your ability to even pick it up. And two, uh, being able to relate the track, the factors together, the traits together, stacking, like we talked about in the video, and then what your training was like. For me, I think what speaks volumes is that every day for the last 35 years, I've pretty much always gotten some kind of an email saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe this, you know, um, or the letters of reference or, you know, I, I have, I'm literally a fire hazard with all the letters I've received. And so I think that it's that, that alone will speak to your accuracy because feedback from, you know, people like you that have your handwriting analyzed that is our measure of accuracy. Okay. Zoot asked, much difference saying if someone was am, uh, ambidextrous skills, are they to hide identity? So I, uh, I didn't pronounce that one right. You know, <laughs> right there, so it would be that. great to be ambidextrous. Just think of how much Thank I could you so done. <laughs> correctly. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I so, will, yeah, go ahead. To answer that question, uh, they think they can, uh, but what happens is, again, keep in, in mind that you have the same brain. So as long as you don't have a lumbotomy between every sample that you write, we're still going to be able to find the same relative information. Okay. Thank you. And thank you for saying it correctly. 
<laughs> okay, I, you already answered that one, so let's go to this one. How does this help LE? Well, why don't you speak to that, Chris? Because um, I, I, it, I mean, how do you think law enforcement would use this? Well, I tell you, there was uh, when you had everybody get up and and uh, analyze it themselves in the class that uh, I just saw. Uh, this is a tool. It's a tool into the behavioral aspects of the human personality. And, the, and you have to understand that before you get into an interview room uh, with an individual. In, in order to get somebody to, you know, talk about why they did what they did, uh, you have to kind of have all the tools available to you. And if this is, uh, this is one of those tools, this is one of those tools. If someone wrote about a traumatic events in their life, but they do not recall everything and handwriting help them find missing memories. That is a great question. So in, in my particular experience, uh, what has happened is I've had people, you know, like I said, when I worked in the mental health industry, uh, I would have trauma individuals come and they're like, you know, I have these missing memories, couple things. Sometimes people who have been diagnosed with multiple personality disorder, for example, will have missing gaps in memory, missing memories, gaps in memory, time that seems lost. If that's not the situation and they say, you know, can you help me recover these memories? So what can happen is if I do a full comprehensive analysis of you, which is five to seven pages about your life going back to birth. I can give you all kinds of descriptions and lay out your personality like a book. I can't tell you exactly what happened per se, but what it does is it starts to, what you're reading starts to trigger your memory, your subconscious memory, and that can ultimately help you start uncovering those memories by yourself. What a great question. And thank you so much for asking that question. Um, Rumi, how do narcotics and alcohol show itself in handwriting? That's a great question. So if you think about how alcohol and drugs affects your body, it is in your central nervous system. So based on the zones of how your handwriting is laid out, it matches your body. So the central nervous system would be middle zone in the handwriting. And so the more fluctuation you tend to see in the middle zone letters, like your vowels, your, you know, any of your vowels, then that's a usually a strong indicator that somebody is under the influence. It's not the only one, but it is one of the strongest ones. Interesting. Thank you. And welcome, Christine. Uh, Mr. Maven asks, let's say a person has a tremor or other physical condition at the time they write the document. Does that invalidate the analysis? Is it possible to analyze a doc if they have that condition? Yes, uh, we are able to tell health indicators in the handwriting. Uh, my forte is pulling out the criminal mind, but I have a very dear friend who lives in Albuquerque, who her forte is being able to pull out health in handwriting. Uh, but to answer your question, we are able to do that. And so, for example, if I analyzed somebody who had a tremor showing up, I would be able to tell that that was a tremor and I would just avoid that stroke. 
because the rest of the samples, the rest of the strokes will make up for the one I'm avoiding. That's a way to keep it simple. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you, Pat. At what age would someone have to be for you to analyze someone's writing? So this is what I tell my students. Handwriting locks in personality traits at the age of 13. So any, anyone that you analyze before that, consider those developing traits. So I could analyze a seven-year-old just fine. But just keep in mind that that seven-year-old's traits are still developing. So when they're 13, it may look completely different. So I always try to say the best rule of thumb is 13 and up. So here's the Miss Will Albee said, do traits remain from childhood to adulthood if the person's writing matures with time? So that I think you just kind of answered that. Yeah, a lot of the traits will remain. A lot of them will shift. For example, you might be an angry child. But when you're an adult, you might not be as angry. You might have resentment instead. And so it's just a graduation or an aging of some of the traits, just like children who are considered conduct disorder more often than not becomes antisocial personality disorder in adulthood. Yep. And Janet had pretty much the same question. And I'm just kind of catching up to it here. Mm -hmm. Uh, hang on for a minute. Your analysis of these letters and how the handwriting revealed their personalities was amazing and shockingly accurate. More of a comment, and I agree. Thank you. Thank <laughs> Sherry says, uh, old lefty here forced to write with paper slanted left right hander. How should this affect analysis? So I, oh, have, a, I have a couple things with that. So a lot of, a lot of people, think that most left-handed writers have a left slant. But statistically, 93% of left-handed writers actually have a vertical slant. Now, as far as uh, left and right, handwriting does not reveal what hand somebody is writing with, which is why I really like this science as well, because it's very non-discriminatory. But people have come to me before where they said, you know, I was in Catholic school and I was a lefty. And they sorry to hear me. that. I <laughs> know people will say that wasn't me. But Who were your nuns? No, don't, don't answer that. <laughs> but people will say that they were forced to write with their right hand at that point. And making that forced switch can actually interrupt the brain's development. Okay, so mindfulness with the increasing keyboarding versus handwriting, will these people disclose differently when they're writing? No, it's the same mind, so we'll find the same thing. The one thing, though, is what matches my TEDx talk that you can also find on my YouTube channel is how the key areas of the brain are activated when we handwrite and they are not activated when we don't handwrite. So texting, typing, any of that those same key areas of the brain and the real power centers are not activated unless you're actually handwriting. So if someone, uh, vet girl says, if someone is on a legal substance, are there changes in their handwriting? Yes. And that goes back to that one I answered about the center um, of the writing, the middle zone fluctuations. Okay. And Rumi, did we answer this one? How does yes. alcohol and narcotic, we answered that? Yes. Okay. Uh, and we answered that one trying to catch up with everybody. Please forgive me for being slow here. 
Does does chronic pain show up in handwriting? That's a good question. Yeah. So so today I did a quick analysis on somebody. It was one of the orders that came in, and I I sent back and I said, you know, Matt, take care of that ankle because I can see where it's been fractured and it just has a lot of pain dots. So, yes, you can see it. Okay. Let me. Uh... Sorry, I'm going through all these. And vet girl, I, I think I missed one of yours. Let me uh, find it back here. Here it is. What are some of the biggest difference between criminal handwriting versus non? So it's not really as much that there's a criminal style. Okay. It's really about stacking the traits that are there. Because, you know, you could take the nicest mom in the world and then something happens to their kid and that mom becomes the lion in the forest. So it's really about people are all capable of all kinds of things. You know, we all have goods, bads, and uglies, and none of us are wearing a halo and wings. And so it's just what stacks together and the circumstances that are around us that causes the behavior to become criminal or not. There really isn't a blanket criminal style per se. Hey, Lisa asked, can you tell if someone is a narcissist by their handwriting? Yes. And again, but it's all about stacking. It's all about what stacks together. Like you might have the false vanity. You might have the one upper. You might have those people that when it all in totality, when you put all the pieces of the puzzle together or you stack them, that will give you the narcissistic personality style. Okay, so Marlena asks, can you tell if a person purposely trying to change their handwriting? So sometimes when I work on criminal cases that I actually have access to the suspect or I have access to the detective to uh, tell him what I would like them to do or how to handle it, especially in the in a question document, like a forgery situation, what we would do is we would have them we'd probably have 10 pages and have them start writing something and then keep taking it away. And so they can't see it on each page. So they would write, we'd take it away. They'd write again, we'd take it away. About the fourth or fifth page, we would actually start looking at their handwriting because when people try to change their handwriting, they can only maintain that about seven seconds. And after that, their true personality takes over. So it's hard to trick us. <laughs> So here's here's a very interesting one. Uh, would you please analyze Brian Laundry's notebook? I I did. Oh, you did? Is it on your on page? Yeah. Okay, go see it over there, guys. Uh, she's got it up on her YouTube channel. So that that's an interesting one. Uh, so I had this one here. How did you rule out Tim Mullins? Well, um, that's a great question, but I didn't rule him out. Uh, Dawn McCarty is my cousin, and she's a question document examiner. And she was on my YouTube channel. We did a premiere a few days back, and she had already spent time doing all that and ruled them out. With him. With him. Yep. Uh, can you tell someone's trying to mimic someone's writing? Yeah, and that kind of goes back again to have keep them writing, because after the first seven seconds, they're no longer able to really mimic anybody because they can't, they can't hold it. It's like this guy. So it's like, let's say that I try, I, I try to write like Chris. So what happens is I'm trying to take Chris's personality and push it into mine. Don't I, you dare. And convince my brain 
that I am him by writing like him. And, and by so, the way, how was I hanging <laughs> out with me? I mean, let, let, you were great. You were great. Was I you okay? Tell them I, I analyzed your writing too, you know. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm teasing. Go ahead. But I, but it is basically if I take Chris's writing and I try to copy it for any length of time, specifically over seven seconds, my subconscious is going to be like, hey, 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 uh-uh, this is not me. This is, these, these are not my personality traits and it will push back. And that's what happens is that when you try to fake your writing, and that's how all these anonymous note cases get solved because you can't fake it past that because your brain rejects it by itself automatically because it knows it's not who you are. And she, Sherry says, she goes, I'm not worried about your handwriting. I'm worried about your driving. I love it. That's got to be for you, Chris. Well, it's hysterical because I always, I always say, you should see me drive. So, <laughs> Sherry, you just brightened my day. Made it much better than it was. Uh, okay, so here's another one. Does the handwriting remain the same when people have multiple personality disorders when shifting from different alters? Interesting. Yeah, and it's a MPD or dissociative is a great, great sample to look at. So what happens is, let's say that I have uh, a few identities. I, I'm a multiple, let's say. And if I try to write, depending on what I'm writing, there could be variable factors. But what you'll start seeing is that there'll be some tangles that and some shadowing that takes place on the writing. And that's where two personalities are trying to fight for the pen, so to speak. And there's this little like um, tussle on the paper, and then you'll see the handwriting change. And so it looks like two different people wrote it. So I, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very fun. Interesting. Uh, the, have you done the Zodiac? Cause girl for Friday is asking. It's so interesting thing about the Zodiac, and it is on my uh, YouTube channel. I did not analyze him, but I had a woman come, you know, email me several years back and saying, I know for a fact my dad's a Zodiac. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So I said, do you have his handwriting? And she says, yes. So she sent it. And what I did was a comparison between his actual letters that he had written to her and the Zodiac's writing. And it was eerily matched up. So because it's over my head, I went ahead and sent it to my federal agent friend and he spoke of it on our live a couple weeks back. And it's not the guy that everybody thinks it is. Uh, instead, it was a man named John Beavers. So uh, I don't know what exactly he did with it from that, but I, I know he mentioned we talked about it on my. Do you video. want to hear something crazy? Yeah. My old agency, we think uh, they just recently thought one of the very first victims was in our city. Oh, really? A, a cab driver. Yep, it's an old caper that's been opened up, and I got a phone call saying, uh, you know, talking to the one of the cold case detectives working there now. And uh, so... You know, anyway, that's that's a different show The for the MBTK is a different show. But did you ever look at uh, Raider? I do. In fact, I have a lot of those those writing samples, OJ Simpson, those types of things, those types of people, um, Ted Bundy, you know, the Unabomber, all those. I, I have those in my class. And so we do use that uh, their 
their personality and their handwriting in my classes, especially the uh, violent classes. Yeah. And uh, let's see here. Do you de can you detect lies or deception in handwriting? Um, one, one or both are they asking? Well, so, I mean, you, you can detect the areas of deception when the anxiety picks up and when their communication letters start to change. Uh, for example, if there is an O or an A or even an E that is open, and then all of a sudden you start seeing them start to close and clam up, then you know that uh-oh, all of a sudden they don't want to talk about this. And so it gives you an, a way of going back and seeing where there is potential deception and lies. Awesome. And I'm going to let you say that big word again there. But uh, Mr. Maven says, does that change the analysis? And would you have to look at each doc written in each hand? We answered the one about the ambidextrous, I believe. But as far as looking at the docs written in each with each hand, no. It's the same brain. That controls both hands except mine <laughs> well apparently you're driving <laughs> i'm you know i'm a funny guy uh the families did we already answer this one lifelong learner do families have similar oh no we didn't but we could okay what what do you got so it's just like it's exactly like uh DNA. So we can inherit personalities from, you know, individuals, our, pa our parents, our grandparents and such, but we can also inherit heart disease, blood pressure problems and things like that. So handwriting is the same. We can inherit handwriting strokes from our family. Well, that's interesting. How about uh, you? Uh, Samba says, Sambia says, Dr. Martin needs to analyze the Lori and Chad Daybell. Did you put that I've never up? i heard of them. Who are they? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I've never heard. Of, I, I don't watch this stuff. <laughs> are you Cuckoo. calling me crazy, Chris? <laughs> Cuckoo. Cuckoo. Mind blow. Me they are Lori Meaning they are. Oh, okay. Chad and Lori. Oh, yeah. This is uh, <laughs> zombie apocalypse. I mean, it's all there. Uh, and... Uh, Okay, so I'm not going to tell you anything about it because you're going to have to go do your homework on this one. But these two are in custody. They're going to trial. Uh, and he was, uh, you know, they basically had an affair, killed their kids. Oh, man. Then, yeah, I've uh, never heard of them. Where are they from? Uh, Idaho. Oh. Is that yeah. the one where... One they of went them, to Hawaii. I don't remember. I don't know if you... Huh? Was one of them a pastor? I don't know what he was. He was a kook. Well, and uh, he still is. I've and, never heard uh, the name, though, I don't think. So. Not, it doesn't ring a bell. It doesn't even look familiar to me. Well, I think he's got a whole bunch of writings, right, guys? Does uh, does Chad have a bunch of uh, letters? I'm going to write that down before I forget. Yeah, just look up. You, you just do a Google search on Lori yeah, and Chad. Yeah, I definitely will. I definitely and, will. Uh, and, the, and just FYI, folks, so you know, she is... Uh, you know, Dr. Martin's all over the place. And so she really doesn't, I mean, like last week you were in class for three days in Albuquerque and you're doing all kinds of stuff for you. And so you've got so much work, you can't keep up with this stuff in totality. But I try. I There's try. zombie slayers, as Lisa Lee says. They're zombie slayers. 
Here they come. <laughs> Who are? Uh, no, no, that yeah, Chad or Chad and uh, Lori. I, I did a whole thing on them. If you want to go, oh yeah, uh, well, I'll well, be going down the rabbit hole on your channel too. Them. They're uh, they're kooks. Uh, and thank you, Blue Skies. Yes, so fascinating. Glad to discover new YouTube education. Yeah, mahalo, uh, <laughs> mahalo to you too. Aloha. My thank son, my so stepson lives in Hawaii. Oh really? Yeah, in the no. Big Island. I haven't been uh, there yet, so yeah, yeah. Uh, CM says, I broke my dominant hair last year, hand last year, and had to teach myself to write with the other hand. Would you be able to detect this in an analysis? So, because you have the same brain, I'm going to be able to pull out the same traits. The other, the only thing that may be different is if whether or not your injury shows up in the middle part of the writing because that would show up as pain dots if it's if it still hurts you if it's still chronic but other than that it should be it, it would be the same traits has any of this been admitted into trial or is it just like a polygraph where it's a tool in the toolbox well it's a toolbox but there's uh i've testified in court uh quite a few times don't like it but i've done it nobody likes to testify though right as an expert <laughs> as an expert. Yes. Yeah. So I had to take all kinds of, of stuff to the judge and he had to do his research and then he had to pronounce me officially as a qualified expert. Um, yes. And on my freebie page on my website, there is a lot of court information for those of you who want to know the legal precedents. This is awesome. Um, absolutely awesome. Hang on for a minute. Um, trying to get to some of these. Appreciate your patience, guys. Yeah, we're gonna we're having fun with all these questions. They're great. Are you enjoying it? I'm having a great time. Hopefully, they are. Well, <laughs> I, I tell you, you have been a really fascinating guest, and I mean, not only you know a friend, but at the same time, you you just you just gave me an explosion of information and you know with that analysis and if you're just joining with us uh watch this on the replay because you know dr martin went through the letter we we know for for a fact that candace wrote that first note to the to the journalist because she that's actually the journalist that's her notebook and oh. so she wouldn't go on camera and so the reporter said well she won't go on camera but she wrote this and she flipped it over and read it to the public. And so it's on the news. And I talked to Ansley, the, the reporter that did it personally. And she said, yeah, you know, Candace wrote that note. So that note that you analyzed is actually, you know, her. The, oh, the other okay. question, right? Well, and you, you just said that she didn't want to go on camera? Yeah, she didn't want to go on camera. I think I, I believe I said somewhere in her analysis that she wants to avoid the public or something something to that effect so this that is another sense. one Th sandy thank you for saying this there i've very, never heard of that person either i'm gonna write that down too <laughs> barry morphew he's in uh colorado he he whacked his he killed his wife suzanne who was a beautiful soul domestic violence was that a long time ago or when when was it when were these cases last year it's been about a year year and a half now Wow, I'm going to write that down. She's still now. not with us, and we need to keep her in our 
in our prayers and our thoughts that they find her. Anyway, they that's another one. That in if you do any of that, you know, and you put them up, let me know, and I'll make sure that our, my uh, my team yeah. here puts it up on our community page and links it over there. Well, I'm flipping uh, through my notebook now because I have a list of people I want to look up. So I'm just I'll trying to find we'll, we'll talk offline. I'll give I'll give them to well, you. Well, I'll be able to find it on the replay anyway because I'm going to share it with my subscribers as well. Okay, so Bertie asked, can you tell if someone's writing something that someone told them to say apart from if it was their own words, i.e., you know. Dictated or not. Yeah. So it's always best. Okay, so yes, you can. A lot of times I'll have to tell the law enforcement agencies that I work with, hey, can you get this person to write these specific words? But if you're coming to me to get your handwriting analyzed or somebody who you want to analyze, like, you know, like a boyfriend or your son or whoever, like a personal thing, right? Then it's always best to have writing that's out of their mind because you're going to acquire more about their thought processes when you have information that comes from their mind. So, oh, thank you, Paris. <laughs> uh, the links to your to her channel are below. Just uh, click click on to them and go over there. Um, let's see here. I'm going to get. I think uh, I saw a question in there pop up a couple times about all caps about somebody. Yeah, so, yeah, one, and I was just I was just getting ready to hit that one. Where did it go? Yeah, it, they basically said, "What does all caps mean?" Right. So the all caps is a lot of times it is a industry or career change. A lot of times it's military accountants, architectures, police, military, those types of people that write that way uh, as, as kind of a professional need. Uh, if it's somebody, my dad, for example, he was military, but even before he went into the military, he wrote in all caps. And so basically when you're thinking about people who write in all caps, it's kind of the same as people who print, only print and never connect anything. Their main priority is not forming relationships. It's more about getting information out. Interesting. Okay, so we're gonna take a, I'm gonna put a couple more up here. And uh, this one, you know, from Beth is, have you ever analyzed suicide notes for family whose loved ones were surprised by their passing? What a, you know, yeah. first of all, Beth, you know, and, and by the way, if anybody is triggered by this, you know, God bless you, you know, just, you know, just take a deep breath for a moment while we get this answer. Go ahead. Yeah, it's always tough. Uh, I do what the, we call what I call uh, psychological autopsies based on their handwriting. And so what we do is we find, even if they didn't leave a note, we find writing closest to the time of death as possible, because then... Uh, I can look and see what was on their mind at the time. And also you can see the suicide drops in their writing. A lot of times what happens is family members don't want to believe that the person could have been suicidal. So they automatically suspect foul play quite often. And a lot of times you'll all hear family members say, hey, you know, my son or daughter loved one acted happy, acted normal, didn't act depressed, didn't act anything. So from a mental health perspective, again, I worked in trauma for a long time and was a clinical director. 
and suicide's always been a passion area for me. Uh, so a lot of times what happens when people come to terms with their decision, they don't act depressed. There is no warning signs. And so it, it comes as a shock because of that. But you can see in their writing, uh, and one of the classes I teach for law enforcement is how to see the progression of suicide. And I use cases in there where you can watch somebody in high school leave a note to a peer, walk across the street and take his life in his own hands. And so you can watch him progress during that hour, that last hour of class in high school and watch him. You can see it all fall apart. And it's it's the same with every case. So anybody who's going through that, I I feel for you greatly. And I know that the healing and the loss is devastating. Interesting. Thank you so much for saying that, Doc. Uh, could you tell the difference, uh, Janine asked, can you, could you tell the difference between their truth and a truth or are both the same? So keep in mind that when we are analyzing the writer, we are pulling it from the writer's brain. So if the writer is telling their truth, we're going to see it as their truth. If he's trying to convince himself of somebody else's truth, but doesn't believe it, it's going to show up likely as a lie because he doesn't believe that it's a truth. It's okay. very, it, it, it just depends on the factors that we stack together with it. Okay. Last, last comment. And you may have already done it. I did Chris Watts. I did. Have you already did it? I did. Yes. On, my on, on your channel, right? Yes. Okay. So guys and gals, you have been fantastic tonight. We're an hour and 37 minutes into this. Remember, it goes over into a podcast also at, at Spotify over the next couple of days. So you can get over there and listen to it in your car. Go to the interview room and just, you know, follow me on uh, Spotify or Apple, any one of the other uh, podcast platforms. Uh, but I cannot thank you enough. And, you know, here's the next question. Will you come back? Yes. Yes. I want to have you on mine too, though. Absolutely. I'll come over. <laughs> okay, and, and I'll lower your property value, but I'll come over there. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like a lightning rod. Depends on who you ask. <laughs> you know? so, no, I, I, I just want to say I appreciate, you know, I love Buddy. I love Karen. Um, you are amazing, Chris. And your the okay, comments and your viewers were yep. great. And I am very, very humbly grateful for the opportunity to come on here and share some so of this. Dr. Daisy has said here, four questions non-answered. Thank you very much. Well, okay. What are the four questions? Put them up right now. Yeah. If I missed them, as I apologized early on, I certainly do not want to miss anything. Uh, yes, or yeah, well, let's see, Dr. Dr. Daisy, you're on. Please put them in the chat. And I'm going to wait. Me too. <clears throat> I did see uh, somebody also make a comment while we're waiting for her to find those about uh, Parkinson's and such. Yes. Um, keep in mind, my forte is in criminal minds uh, or personality in general um, when I'm working with individuals versus law enforcement. Uh, so when it comes to health questions, uh, I really recommend 
my friend Karen. And if you contact me, I can give you her information. Uh, and she is amazing on discovering health that especially when doctors can't find what's wrong. Interesting. And thank you, Champion. We appreciate you. We love Buddy. And he is. He's awake. He, he just actually jumped down and he went over to uh, his bed and laid down. Uh, so I'm still waiting for Dr. Daisy. Uh, whenever you're, uh, there we go, right there. Thank you so much. Okay. So, yes. And so that kind of, again, talks about the, uh, you know, the, the Parkinson's part of it. Uh, but as far as dyspraxia, and there's a lot of things in there. And just for those of you who don't know what dyspraxia is, it's a basic, basically a um, coordination de uh, developmental disorder that affects movement and coordination. Uh, it doesn't affect like your, your intelligence level or anything that um, it can affect like your ability to ride a bike or play sports or drive a car, I, there's various things. And so you can see that, um, you know, in their handwriting because it shows the signs. Um, for example, it'll show balance and movement issues. It'll show uh, fatigue. It'll show uh, planning or disorganizational traits. It'll, it'll show those types of things. And so you can often see that uh, in the handwriting. So hopefully that helps. Thank you, Dr. Daisy. And I apologize, please forgive me for missing your uh, questions early on. I That was not intentional in any way, shape or form. Oh, you know what, Chris? I'm sorry. Yeah. I have one more that I kept seeing popped up and I just want to answer it. There was yes. one more that popped up asking about people who don't put a lot of space between their words. And okay. I want to just share that that is a common, there you go. That's actually a common trait in people who uh, find that they need people to fulfill their self of their kind of their self-worth their existence their sense of existence. But if it's combined with other traits such as violence, potential or anger and temper, then it's very common in those who are uh, the main key players in domestic violence. Okay. I tell you, you know, do, do we not have amazing, audience here. I mean, we, we love, love these people. Okay, here. So here is, uh, thank you, Doc. I appreciate you very, very much. I appreciate it. Um, okay, so here's my tradition. I always give our guest the last word. Okay, and at the end of your comment, whatever it is, wherever your mm -hmm. heart goes, wherever it takes you, mm -hmm. then we go to Hawaii. Okay. Oh. We go to Hawaii. Yeah, you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We play. I play a song from Hawaii. And, Are you singing the song? Did you write the oh, song? No. Are you dancing? No, no. They, you Remember? should see me drive. remember. You've seen me drive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, I thought maybe it was the hula you were doing. No, well, you know that I, I was, and I'll confess to something. So I was. You know, I've been playing guitar since 1972. Oh, wow. It's always been my, my vent, right? Uh, and long story short, I was the only white guy in a cast of 56 Polynesian uh, cast members. And I filled in for a guy 
because they they needed somebody to play guitar and it was called cowie brown's polynesian review huh. and they called me chemo and my hawaii friends will know uh what that meant but i had opportunity to play all kinds of you know hawaiian stuff in the the original stuff you know not not pearly shells and that kind mm -hmm. of stuff but mm -hmm. you know, the original because it was the dancers and everything and there's there's one white guy in all of these polynesians around me and they i love i love 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 the polynesian people and i was so blessed to have an opportunity to um you know to be raised in in hawaii and kailua as a kid so, you, so i have a really good uh the the john benet ramsey the guy that i was going to be working with on that case way back in the day um he lives um that island and as a child my uncle owned a fancy nightclub and he would have don ho come oh yeah and perform so i i can appreciate it yeah, don used to be in uh wiki wiki as we used to say you know but uh anyway okay so you get the last word and when you are done um we're going to doctor thank you so much for coming on tonight god bless you and uh, we're going to have you back soon okay okay all right i'm out of here and closing statement all right so in any traumatic experience we expect the victims to experience denial anger fear and insecurity this case case is a big loss it's a form of grief. It's easy to make speculations and buy into rumors. So I urge everyone to keep an open mind, form your own opinions, and pray like hell for summer. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Chris. I'm very grateful. And thank you to the amazing Karen, the great buddy for being wonderful in the background, and the assertive mods. Love to all. Thank you. <laughs>